Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things blood flow restriction training. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the BFR.co, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs, access online BFR training programs, increase your own BFR knowledge, or you want more information about this type of training, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Dr. Chris Gavilio. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to BFR Radio. Welcome to our first segment for the year. And we're going to kick it off with the questions in cars. And the idea behind this is that I get to answer your questions in a more informal, easy, how-to type answer to your question. And you're going to join me on my way to or from work. I'm on my way home from work today. And the question I've got is from a track and field coach. And he wanted to know how to incorporate BFR with an athlete who recently tore his hamstring. And if you've been following my podcasts and some of my work, I've speak quite often about one of the athletes that I work with, Cedric Dublay. He's a decathlete. That's a track and field athlete who competes in 10 events over two days. Perhaps one of the most grueling sporting events that you could actually compete in. And... The story just really briefly is that three weeks prior to the Tokyo Olympics, he was in a pre-departure competition, tore his hamstring, unfortunately, grade two, some tendon involvement. Now, typically at this stage, Olympics is over because a lot of this rehab process, we're looking at around six weeks before we're returning to full training. Within 12 days, that's less than two weeks, we're able to get him running at 95% of his maximum speed over 60 meters. And he also did some other submaximal tests at around 80%, some long jump pop-ups where you'll run up, hit the board on that same leg that he tore, the hamstring, and go through the motions. And similar also with a high jump as well. Within three weeks, he was then at Tokyo Olympics, competed in the decathlon with absolutely no issues with his hamstring at all. I documented it all. And that's really formed my framework when I discuss how to use BFR in particular for hamstring injuries. Now, the two to three week time frame is quite extreme. And if you do have a few more weeks, I would advise to take a little bit longer before you go and test it out in a competition. However, based upon that, I just thought I'd just briefly explain the mechanisms as to how and why it works. And I have covered this in a lot more detail in other podcasts. Therefore, I'll briefly summarize this. And what I'm going to discuss is just a, a couple of terms or mechanisms involved in this process, just to give you a bit of understanding. And what happens is that when you have a muscle stress, in this case, a muscle strain, you have inflammation. And as a result of that, you have immune cells, which are involved in the process to help repair and two immune cells in particular are called neutrophils and macrophages. Now, neutrophils, they are the first responder to the muscle injury, and this helps to initiate the healing process. And these are then soon followed by macrophages, which continue the repair work. And these macrophages also perform this process called phagocytosis. And this is a cleanup process where they engulf and remove the damaged cells and the debris. Now, a key function 
of both neutrophils and macrophages in the muscle remodeling is the production of cytokines. Cytokines is a global term for signaling molecules that help guide the repair process. And in particular, there's this one cytokine called interleukin-6. Don't need to worry about the name, but interleukin-6 in particular is noted for increased concentrations when we do BFR training. And this increase is attributed to that unique metabolic stress and hypoxic conditions created by the BFR. Further on to this, we then have the repair and growth process. It's further facilitated by myoblast cells. And these are a type of cells found in the muscle. And they're essentially the precursor to the muscle cells that actually get laid down and help strengthen the muscle when we go on so we can compete fully at 100%. Now, that's just a little bit of background. So the BFR, once again, helps to activate the signaling molecules, in particular interleukin-6, which then help promote the activation of these immune cells, and in particular the neutrophils and the macrophages. And as I said, interleukin-6 is activated from the BFR from metabolic stress. It's probably the word stress that I want to indicate here. Typically, if we didn't have the BFR cuffs and we would do our normal rehab or any kind of training, we need stress on our body to activate these different molecules and signaling pathways. And typically, we talk about stress. We would talk about mechanical stress in the gym. That's the load we put on the bar. Or when we're running, that would be the intensity at what we run at. And if we're injured, we can't produce enough intensity or mechanical stress or load on our body. Therefore, the BFR is a perfect way of increasing stress on the body to activate these different molecules and signaling pathways, which then gets us on to, well, I'm injured, what do I do? The advantage here is to have upper and lower body cuffs. And then we also then need to be thinking about the injured leg, which we're going to leave passively. We're going to leave alone for a few days. Then we're going to think about, well, what can we do for the upper body and what can we do for the good leg where we can create intensity or create stress, in this case, using the BFR cuffs so we can activate these molecules and pathway activation to start the tissue remodeling process a lot quicker. Just following along the same framework and protocol that I applied with Cedric is that as soon as possible, we're putting the upper body cuffs on and we're doing small sessions. And these would be around five minutes in total. And that's all you would need normally when you look towards other literature is you don't need a lot of load, 20% of 1RM, but you do need lots of repetitions to create that increase in metabolic stress. For example, you have the upper body cuffs on, grab a lifting band and do it in the comfort of your home. And you could be doing something as simple as pick three exercises and create a circuit, lots of repetition, 10 to 15 repetitions each exercise with no rest. So for example, it might be bicep curl into a band row, into a band pull apart. If you would do 10 to 15 reps of each, you'd feel pretty fatigued and your muscles will feel full. Or in this case here, you would feel pumped. When you can't squeeze any more repetitions, you're feeling full. Usually you have increases in lactate in your body. And it's actually this lactate that we want. And that's that 
precursor molecule, which will activate this cascade of effects. Then what you would do is you do your first set, have a short break, 60 seconds, and then repeat that for another two more sets. Three sets, three exercises, and I would be performing that twice a day because we want to be activating these pathways and promoting as much healing as possible during this acute phase. Now with our good leg, you could put the cuff on and you could do some single leg squats. No weight, hand against the wall. And you don't need to worry about massive depth because that's the great thing is that you do just more repetitions and you have that feeling of fullness. And again, it might be around that 15 to 20 repetitions, 60 seconds break, another two more sets. And you'll find that the amount of repetitions that you can squeeze out in set number two and three will decrease and that's totally normal and once again you would do that twice a day it's pretty simple stuff but we are initiating the molecules and the processes involved in muscle tissue remodeling earlier and more often than if we weren't using the cuffs at all that's looked after our limbs that we can train what about the injured leg what are we doing there and this is always a difficult one to pinpoint because you need to know the severity of the tear and you also need to know the location of it. And then therefore this is just general advice. I'd leave it around three days, but what we are going to initiate is passive BFR on that limb. And we do this just by sitting down. We put the cuff on and for our very first time we do this, we're going to start this at a lower pressure than we would normally have when we train. For example, let's just say you train with a cuff on it, 120 mils of mercury. What you would do is you'd lower it by 30 mils, go to 90 millimeters of mercury, inflate it for three minutes, deflate it for a minute, and repeat that three to four times, depending on how much time you have available. What I would then suggest, if you can, when you're doing your good leg exercises, that's your single leg squats, just have it on whilst you're doing those exercises. There's a really great paper on the contralateral strength training effects of BFR, which means that you will have a little bit of a benefit from the work you're doing on your good uninjured side will come across to your injured hamstring. And so you're getting a little bit of extra benefit there. And that's been shown to be amplified by the addition of wearing a BFR cuff. After you finish your single leg squats, one thing that you could be doing is some double leg calf raises because we've only injured our hamstring and we want to be thinking about what we can do and not necessarily about what we can't do. And I think that's really important here. Depending on the severity of the injury, thinking about what can I be doing? Now with Cedric, within, it was three days, I think from memory, he was on the field trying to jog. Now, he was pretty much just shuffling along, not moving very quickly at all. Prior to those sessions, we would put the cuffs on and we would do a little mini circuit, some calf raises. We'd put a mini band around his ankles. He'd do some side-to-side -side crab walks, get the glutes firing. He'd do little mini squats, get the quads firing doing as much movement as he can with the cuffs on that didn't affect the hamstring, didn't stretch anything beyond range. He had no 
negative feeling in that hamstring whatsoever. So we created this nice little circuit that he would do. Uh, because normally if you're fit, you'd be able to do your warm-up. When you're injured, you can't do a warm-up. You're not going to be running quickly. Your first movement will be your first run-through because it's still repairing, it's still tight, and it's probably still sore. Therefore, you need to think about what can I be doing prior to that session to try and prepare your body so that you're able to move a little bit freer. Think about it as an activation session. And we just did that systematically. Every time I could put the cuff on, I would be putting it on thinking that I need to be activating these pathways as often as possible. He would typically try and jog for 60 to 80 meters. And as I said, initially, it was just a shuffle, walk back and repeat that eight to 10 times, increasing volume in a systematic hamstring rehab protocol. But because he didn't do a lot of work, when you think about it, even if you're doing 10 run-throughs over 80 to 100 meters, that's not a lot of work for an elite athlete. So what we did is we then went into the gym on a stationary bike, put the cuffs on, and when we do our stationary bike work, I like to decrease the pressure by about 20 mils of mercury from the strength training pressure. A little trick though is when you have that initial hamstring tear, sitting on a bike and leaning forward onto the handles sometimes isn't very comfortable on the hamstring. What you can do is, if you are in a gym, is wheel the bike into a squat rack and have the bar so that you can lean on it but keep your torso nice and upright that enabled him to cycle with no problems at all then building the amount of time on the bike we'd start at 15 minutes and we try get to around 30 minutes of stationary cycling after his running session with cedric he was approaching the olympics and this is kind of counterintuitive he would normally think that he has to be decreasing the amount of work because he's tapering for a competition However, in this case, because he had the injury, we need to strengthen it and we need to maintain a level of fitness. In a lot of the BFR low intensity cycling studies, they talk about BFR being able to increase muscle size, strength, and also fitness as measured by VO2. My feeling is in elite athletes, we're not gonna be improving VO2, but rather we're gonna be maintaining their level of fitness by doing this low intensity cardio work. That will probably help get you started. As I said, it's really difficult to say this is the exact formula that you're going to use, but that will get your athletes up and going and within a few weeks feeling a lot stronger, a lot more functional than normal. And from there, when you're in the gym, using simple resistance training methodology, you would be using partial range and then building that range over time. You'd be going from light loads to heavier loads slow speeds to quicker speeds, and then also doing a lot of those ancillary exercises that help strengthen the hamstring. Leg curls, and it could be as simple as you start off by standing and you're just lifting your heel up to your butt and then going onto the machine. Isometric hamstring holds, hip extensions, which have a hamstring involvement, and then back extension exercises. And they would start off as double leg, and then over time, as you get stronger, you would be then going to single leg 
And then once you have that single egg, those what we call perbitations. So it would be something like you would have a, a barbell and like a quick drop and catch. So you try and keep the body nice and stable. And other little things with when you have a hamstring injury, in my opinion, that you need to be targeting exercises that work the hamstring from the knee and also the hip. For example, a Nordic or a hamstring curl is knee dominant. So the movement comes from the knee. Hip extension where your shoulder and heels may be on a bench and you're using your hips to extend up into a nice straight plank type position, that would be a hip dominant movement. And you need to be targeting both those exercises. You want your athletes to be resilient with their hamstring work. For me, I don't rely solely on a Nordic. And in the case of Cedric, he actually struggles with Nordics in that it hurts his knees with the amount of pressure. And we've tried all these different variations. And consequently, we have other exercises that targets that eccentric hamstring strengthening. Probably a takeaway from this is that because it is low intensity with the BFR, you could be doing multiple sessions within the day, continually trying to activate the molecules and the signaling pathways that are associated with muscle remodeling. That's what I was really targeting here. And then thinking about, well, what am I doing to maintain the level of fitness in the athletes that I'm working with? And what can I be doing for the good side? I spoke about in that acute phase of just doing body weight, but to be honest, within the next day, you could be in the gym and you could actually be pushing higher loads through the good leg and taking advantage of that contralateral strength training effect. That's actually really key for athletic performance. Therefore, you'd be choosing exercises like a single leg press, a single leg squat in a Smith machine, leg extension, leg curl, put the cuffs on. The advantage is that you could still go heavy, but you don't have to worry about going that extra five or 10 kilos to achieve that high percentage of RM. You could just drop the load a little bit, still go moderately heavy to heavy, have the cuffs on and take advantage of that contralateral strength training effect. And you could then use your recovery time to be doing rehab type exercises on your right leg. And whilst you're in the gym, wear the cuffs on both legs, keep it on for as long as possible, try to take advantage of that metabolic stress. Just reinforcing, it's really hard to be overly prescriptive here because different athletes will present differently as to what they can do. But you need to have that end goal in mind. What are the exercises that you need your athlete to be able to perform? If they do a lot of Olympic lifting, you want to be working into your RDLs and you could just be starting with that inner range, just with the bar going down until you feel a stretch through the hamstring nothing sharp but just that nice stretch and then coming up again in a nice controlled fashion and build really good solid foundational strength in the hamstring before you allow yourself to go out onto the track and perform at maximal speed other things to consider when you're getting towards that end stage rehab is keeping in those hamstring exercises and it could be as simple as you just need to be maintaining good, solid hamstring strength training in your gym sessions that are on top of your normal primary lifts. Your primary lifts are your squats, 
step-ups, Olympic lifts, if that's what you do, and have these ancillary sessions where you would be targeting your hamstrings twice a week, something from the knee, something from the hip, and keeping that strength quality in there at all times. If you're lucky and you can have access to a Biodex system, just think about a really big leg extension machine that's controlled by a motor. You would sit upright like you're doing a leg extension and it enables you to do leg extension out, but you use your hamstrings to pull the apparatus back in. And what that measures is the strength or the ratio of strength from your quadriceps to your hamstring. And you do it at different speeds where you would do it at a heavy resistance. So that's a slow speed all the way to less of a resistance, which is a quicker speed. And firstly, we're looking for a ratio within 80%. Typically, our quadriceps would be stronger than our hamstrings. So therefore, we want to be around that 80%. And it also changes at different speeds as well. You may be really strong in those slow speeds, but it may indicate that at those higher speeds that there is that deficit. And you want to be ensuring that you're covering all your bases. And the other thing is flexibility is really important. Your hamstrings could be as strong as you could physically get them, but if you've got poor flexibility, in particular through our hamstrings, but also through our hip flexors, we do a lot of sitting, driving in a car, sitting in a bus, traveling, sitting down, working or at school, our hip flexors get really tight. And then consequently, we can't get that really nice extension when we run. If we sit when we run, we can't get that nice tall hip position. Our foot would strike out in front of our hips. And that would cause our hamstrings to have to pull our leg through putting extra strain on our hamstring and exposing it to potential injury. And a simple test is called a Thomas test, where you would lie back on a high bench or like a table, for example, and you have your hips right on the end and you're, you'd hug one knee and the other leg would just be out straight. And what we want to look for is the position of our thigh. The ideal position is that our knee joint sits slightly lower than our hips. If it's really tight, our hips will be higher than the level of the table. And sometimes if our ITBs are tight, it'll also stick laterally out to the side as well. An easy little test and long sustained stretches will give you the range that you want over time. And just with that, if you are doing a lot of exercises and you're really struggling to get your glute to fire, and if your glutes aren't working when you're doing certain activities, What's going to give you the hip extension? It's your hamstrings. Your hamstrings are working overtime to do the activity. Flexibility takes a long time to achieve, but it's key. And I find a lot of the time that seems to be the first thing that goes because they get home at the end of the day. And the last thing they want to be doing is having a stretch. But I always say the hardest thing is to get on the floor, create your routine, create your really good habit. Therefore, range is really good. Therefore, not only do we need to be targeting our strength, but also our range, optimal range of movement and also good running technique as well. And look, this athlete in question is being coached by a fantastic coach and the technical model is really good there. But I'm just value adding some other considerations in case you have athletes in the, in the same scenario as well. Anyway, I'm home. Thanks for joining me on my journey. 
If you do have any questions, pop them in my DMs, which is my website, which is thebfr.co. X or Twitter is at thebfr underscore co. All the best with your training, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening.